Good eye, possums. Yes, hello, it's your dear friend, your dear host, your old mucker, Chappie, your British butler, your main man, your main squeeze. Every Friday, Saturday and Sunday, the man who can show you the stars, make your universe bigger, be your space rocket to reach your ambitions. Another nonsense. I don't know how I come up with this stuff. Seriously, it's right off the top of my head. It's right off the top of my head. So anyway. Ease into your comfortable sweater, your muumuu, your pajamas. Whatever you like to wear when you're... I wonder what people are wearing listening to this show. Do you think uh, people are just under the sheets in their birthday suits? Or are they like really wrapped up? I mean, there's somebody out there ice fishing at the moment listening to this show. Like they've just drilled a hole in the ice. They're, they're completely padded up. You know, they have their ear muffs on. They have their face muffs on. Everything's muffed because it's so bloody cold. And they're just sitting there on like a log or a stool or something looking for the next bite guess that's how like Instagram influencers are looking for the next viewer looking for their next gig it's like ice fishing the bites come along sporadically but if you are I'm hoping I'm hoping if you are ice fishing at the moment then then this is a warming sensation for you in, in your in your lug holes I hope it's uh, giving you the inspiration to sit there for another five hours that's patience isn't the fishing is patience not not a huge fan of it. Now I don't want them like really touching those sort of icky worms, those like slippery, slimy worms, or you know, an old fly. You know, you, you know what happens when you like kill a fly and it goes on the floor, and then you find it six months later, it's almost fossilized. Is that what a fly feels like? They must be moist when you put them on the hook or something. I don't know. Anyway, that's enough. That's enough fishing talk. I leave that to serious maritime or, or one of the other. Uh, radio stations that deal with fishing and outdoor activities here. I do like the uh, BBC uh, forecast, the, 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 the weather forecast that you get across the high seas, the shipping forecast. I love that. Dogger. So many more as well. You've got Feral, Viking, Humber, Thames, White, Plymouth, Biscay, Malin, Rockall, Shannon, Fitzroy, Bailey. It sounds like an Irishman's dating history. Those last three ones there. Hebrides. Well, make sure you put some ointment on it. Um, yeah. My favourite, though, is German Bight. Now, if you sail into German Bight, do you expect a sort of... Do you expect a little blood fat bread first? Do you, do you want a little bit of mustard on there with your bread first? I mean, that's what I would hope. I'd love to sail into German Bight and uh, have a bite of a bread first and... You know, extra sauerkraut on there. God, the fishermen must love sailing into German Bite. It must be absolutely delicious. Don't know about the cold meats for breakfast in Germany, though. I'm not, not so keen on that. So if I was sailing into German Bite, I'd want a, I'd want a crispy, crispy vatwurst with sauerkraut. I, I wouldn't want the cold meats. No, don't want cold meats for breakfast. I want something hot to warm the cockles, especially if you're a fisherman. You know, with a slightly maybe flailing, uh, patched up 
uh, fishing sweater that sort of can unravel at any time. I don't know if you've ever found that with fishing sweaters. You get that caught on something and the whole thing unravels like your sordid life. <laughs> anyway, look, I've just had a cup of tea this morning. I'm not on any sort of mind-enhancing drugs, I promise you. I promise you. None of that. None of those shenanigans going on. Uh, but there we go. So we've learned already that if I was a German fisherman, I would ask for the breadfast. And, uh, you know, you've learned the... Uh, the basic region names when you're shipping around the UK. So uh, all you aspiring sailors out there, hats off to you. Ahoy hoy, Captain. Uh, shiver Matimba, Mahartis, and Yo-Ho-Ho and a bottle of rum. We've got lots of lovely good stuff packed into the show today. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. It's episode 131 today. We're getting up there, aren't we? We're getting up there. And soon on the Butler Musical Emporium, we'll be able to play some Christmas music. Coming up soon. I wonder if I could start slipping Christmas tunes in November. What do you think? Do you think it's a little early? Or do you think it's spot on? I think we need to get into the Christmas mood early this year. Still contemplating what I'm going to do. Am I going to be in America? Should I venture home for Christmas? I'd love to sort of venture home for Christmas. I do like like the idea of venturing home for Christmas. Um... You know, for a few days anyway. A couple of days. Just so I can uh, see uh, Ma and Pa and uh, all the other all the other people in the family there. It would be rather lovely. I do have a hankering for a bit of game pie. And my parents, uh, I, I do wish they used to have these wonderful 1970s and 80s tinsely decorations. They had, they had like several gold stars going across the middle. Gold star, silver star, platinum star. And then like um, tinsely snowflakes all over. It was so 1970s. But you know what? In a gush of wind, you, you would get that, that. These would be like flailing all over the place. But that was, you know. You want to keep your Christmas uh, going in, you know, from the 70s into the 80s. I mean, and that was pure nostalgia. The tinsel decorations. And then tinsel around everything. I love that too. Around the around the frames of the... Uh, tinsel around the frames of all your portraits and paintings as well. And you know what? If this space... If you've got too much space and you think it's a bit bare, hang your Christmas cards up. Does anybody get any Christmas cards anymore? I think I think I might, might have got two last year. You know, one was from the bank manager saying he needs to talk to me or something. I mean, that's the sort of thing that I... <laughs> the cards that I get now wishing you a season's greetings and uh, can you just pop in when you have a chance please anyway some of the things that we may or may not be talking about on your esteemed podcast today old man style should be your autumn layering hack also we're going to do some exercises there in the podcast I'm going to put a uh, mug of hot tea in my back pocket and we're going to do some squats uh, so anyway we'll be teaching you that later on uh, also, um, how my toe has almost been broken this week several times uh, by a lump of hard cheddar. The smell of sausage first thing in the morning. I mean, we've already talked about bratwurst and sailors. Uh, why not uh, the smell of sausage first in the morning? Um, also, I solved a mystery for the ages this week. A mystery for the ages. Uh, and also, um, how James Bond and a certain genre of holiday movie 
have similar plot lines. Uh, also, how my uh, little place now, New Chappy Towers, Little Chappy Towers, Mini Chappy Towers, is, is a rocking. N nothing like that. Uh, please, behave yourself. Dirty minds. Um, it's the... Uh, I can feel through the wall when the neighbor turns on the washing machine. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, should I give up the lint balls before Christmas? I think it's a very, very, very good idea. Um, also, uh, it's a real sausage special, isn't it, this week? Uh, my parents' preference of sausages. I mean, it's important information for you, the listener. You, you need to know that. And um, celeriac. Yeah, not the disease, uh, the uh, root vegetable. So trying to find celeriac on all of these uh, sites across the uh, across the ether here in America has been almost impossible. Nigh on impossible, I tell you. I'm starting a vendetta against a large fast food chain. Uh, also, uh, more problems with um, food delivery. Food delivery. Not, not to grocery delivery, but food delivery. And also how it took six men to turn around a flat pack trailer. And also uh, odd, odd lunch leftovers. Say that when you don't put your teeth in. GQ had a lovely article on old man style should be your autumn layering hack. We did say four, but I just wanted to slip an autumn there. So this is uh, from Avedon Grossman. All products featured, um, you can you can look up the GQ website and see basically all the uh, all the different styles we're going to be talking about here. So for a notoriously youth-obsessed industry, fashion has been celebrating the comfortably retired set with particular enthusiasm lately. Pavement powders, arbiters of every man's style have been documenting the aesthetic of New York's aging class for years, but appreciation for the particular brand of nonchalant ease has recently reached its peak. Dressing like a well-to-do septuagenarian has never been cooler. So these are the touch points. These are some of the uh, these are some of the items that you need in your wardrobe. I think I already have them actually. Fuzzy cardigans, uh, point collar shirting, high-waisted trousers. Yes, you need to yeah, pull them up like an old man to the moves, and sensible footwear, all mixed to match with utter lack of inhibition, a carelessness, a schlock. Uh, to the uh, experienced LASIK enhanced eyes of season dresses. These are old man clothes that'll make sitting at home on your couch or on the subway feeling a little less rich. They're buttoned up but not fussy. They're leisure wear for an entirely different type of leisure. It's like taking an exhibit uh, on a Tuesday or browsing the cheese section as the bars. That's all I want. I want to dress like him at a cheese and wine party. Raise voices at a cheese and wine party. They embody a joyful approach to getting dressed that excuse the soul-deadening banality of corporate lackey attire in favour of boss man clothing with a dash of more seasonings. Tell it sounds like a wonderful stew, an old stew, an aged stew, an antique stew, a classic stew. Uh, so when you look at your closet, look on misty-eyed from the recliner. Thinks Logan Roy had slightly less jazzier tastes. So what's driving the t trend of this uh, old man style? An armchair diagnosis might point to an exasperation with the hallmarks of millennial lifestyle and a yearning for the type of stability that comes with the comfort of your regular social security deposit and 401k. You might not own a house. You may no, never have owned a house, but 
This type of uh, attire and the sort of material trappings are generously doled out to the boomer generation. You can dress like you do, no matter what tax bracket you fall into. So anyway, so we have some uh, wacky hat, trapper hats, vibrant sweaters, scrunched tube socks and sturdy hard bottoms. So these are some of the these are some of the items here. This is one for me, I think. The eccentric literary type. He penned the definitive tome of a frighteningly specific era of European history. He lives in a in a Tony pre-war apartment, stuffed to the brim with academic uh, entrails. He wears this weekly check-ins with with those, to be honest, fully run his seminars. You should wear this in a night out. It's basically a tweed jacket. Three buttons. Um, Lots of pocket space there, but there we go. So yeah, I have a it's, a it's this tweed sports jacket basically. So you've got the tweed sports jacket, all a rugged cord blazer, gentlemen, and uh, argyle knit sweater vest. Yes, I think I've got all of these. Sunfire Wayne shirt. Yes, um, I don't know if I got the Lady of Rocco Baker pants. They look a little bit baggy. Plenty of room on the if you have rubbing together thighs though. Uh, Mephisto Pepo shoes that has a huge heel on it the doting grandparent hat he lived frugally saved wisely now spends most of his time catering to the whims of the three nightmarish tots who trek across the park on Sunday looking for pancakes he wear this to outings at uh, Le Libre des Enfants it's a basically a fisherman's hat a corduroy fisherman's hat okay the carefree unshrinkable turtleneck yes if the turtleneck shrink and you've got a long neck, you're in trouble. If you're a giraffe with a shrinking turtleneck, watch out, people. Um, houndstooth V-neck sweater. My gosh, has this people, has this guy been in my closet and has he been taking Polaroid pictures? I think so. Now, I wouldn't wear the uh, the Solar Sport T-bar leather loafers. They look a little bit too much like a sandal. There's too much skin showing on that footwear for my taste here. But the Harrington jacket. That's classic 1960s styly. Uh, also, a silk scarf. You know, no, not a cravat. It's a silk scarf, people. And also, uh, many other slightly mustardy color uh, shirts. Very pure 1970s. So anyway, go to GQ if you want to dress like an old man. There's a wonderful article there. And as I said, I think they've had a snapshot into my aging. But it still seems fashionable closet i discovered one of the best exercises the other day so i mean there's many gyms out there 24-hour fitness and everything else but if you haven't got time to go to the gym yeah that's that's my excuse i mean my my worry though is if i go to the gym don't you find that those lint ball uh, wrappers get everywhere so i'd fit I, they would probably be in my jogging trousers and uh, the limp ball wrappers would fall out whilst I'm on the uh, the travelator, or if I'm on the uh, exercise bike, or on the rowing machine. You know, the hazelnut limp ball wrapper falls out of the pocket. That could be very embarrassing in a fitness scenario. But here's one for you that you know I would practice this probably at six o'clock. So so if any sweet wrapper or um, you know Cadbury's chocolate bar wrapper fell out of your pocket this early, it really wouldn't matter particularly. Um, it's dog walking. So I found this the other day. So I, uh, I exited uh, Chappie Towers, Mini Chappie Towers, and I um, had a very hot 
cup of PG tips in my hand. Love it, love it in the morning. Love it when you're taking a sip and then big old frozen breath of there. That's rather wonderful first thing in the morning. So anyway, I recommend this to you. So mug of tea. Uh, make sure there's a lid on there, though. You know, one of those travel mugs. Uh, I do the porcelain because tea tastes awful out of a metal cup. I need uh, I need my, uh, you know, very slender, slim porcelain mug with the lid on there. And um, anyway, so Maggie the Corgi, uh, always uh, very regular, the most regular dog you'd ever see. Uh, she uh, she decided to, whilst I still had a hot mug of tea in my hand, uh, basically squat over and do her business. So I had the problem where I had to pick up uh, a bunch of uh, doggy doo-doo uh, with a hot mug of tea in my hand. Now, if you've ever tried to do anything whilst trying to pick up doggy doo-doo, then, uh, yeah, it's slightly problematic, isn't it? Very problematic. Because, yeah, first of all, there's nowhere to put my hot cup of mug of tea. Uh, and secondly, you, you don't really want the bag you're picking up to be touching anywhere you're putting your lips. So uh, what I what I did, though, was... Um, uh, let me sort of sort of recreate this for you. So, yeah, okay, uh, cue the music. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, let, let's just turn this up a little bit here, Chappy. Okay, Chappy. All right, all right, okay. So anyway, so I took the mug of tea, and I've got a hot mug of tea right now. So I took the hot mug of tea and put it into my right pocket. Now this is a fairly sturdy pocket on my jeans. So the mug's in there, the lid's on. So. Then I, out with my left hand, I reached into my pocket and pulled out a, uh, a poo-poo bag. Dog, you know, dog feces bag, whatever you want to call it. So I took it out. And then, I mean, first of all, the bloody thing sealed shut. It's almost nigh on impossible to open these bags. So I had to lick my fingers. Now, again, licking anything at this point in time sort of disgusts me. So I opened up the bag slightly uh, with, you know, with a licky finger. So I was ready, ready for action. It was steaming. So then, I, so this is the exercise. Legs slightly apart. Uh, well, you know, it depends on, you know, if you're like a man spreading like me, maybe your legs are further apart. So, okay, legs fairly far apart then. Let's say that, shall we? And then, yeah, okay. So then, very carefully, good standing position, solid position, but you've got a hot mug of tea in the, your back pocket here. So then, you just gently, gently bend your knees. So you can you can feel your knees bending and you and you can feel your hammies your hammies they're tightening slightly but very gradually you have to go straight down because you've got a hot mug of tea keep that back slightly straight as you bend your knees and then you gradually go close to the ground uh, and, and and then I could you know with my long arms maybe if you've got short arms this could be a problem so the knees are very well bent here and a lot of tension in the back legs here. I feel a lot of tension there in the hammies. Really good for strengthening those legs there. Really toning up those legs here. As you just move down, so I've got the, it, it, yeah, in my right hand, I've got a bag, the doggy poo-poo bag. Now, I'm just, yeah, so I'm now, I'm imagining this now. So my scooping my hand underneath, my hand is in the bag, I promise you that. And then I just raise up, just raise up slowly, but still the hot tea's in the back pocket. I'm raising up slowly, raising up slowly, tie up the bag, dispose, and, and again, so hot tea in the back pocket, bend your knees, but keep your back straight. You don't want to be spilling that hot tea onto your, onto your buttocks. You don't want hot buttocks this time in the morning. So bend down, gradually, slowly, 
and and slowly and up again. It's very slowly up again. So there we go. We do this once more. Okay. God, I tell you, it's a good workout here. So hot in the back pocket, right or left, whichever your your favouring pocket is, and then gently bend the knees, keeping the back straight, right down to the ground, and just like a scooping motion, slow scooping motion, then back up again slowly, and 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 relax. Whew. Tell you something. I mean, you don't want a burnt buttock. That's one thing you don't want. In this new exercise, when you're like squatting down, you know, with that scooping motion, a burnt buttock is your worst enemy. The ancient society that turned its back on bling. So the Greek geographer Strabo wrote of a land where barbarians panned in rivers of gold using fleecy skins. One of the skins was a golden fleece sought by Jason. But while his Argonauts were seeking out this fabled object, the production of other gold objects from the region now known as Georgia appears to have stopped. A new study argues that barbarians did not run out of metal, they simply were tired of it. Nathaniel Herb Starlow from the Cranfield University in Bedfordshire in the UK argues that in the second millennium BC, people in the region decided that gold was a bit too bling tell that to the Kardashians. From 2500 to 1500 BC, this region had an incredibly rich and complex gold working tradition. The earliest well-documented gold mine was in the uh, Caucasians. The story of Jason the Argonauts attests that the region was known for its riches. Its fame percolates through the Mediterranean world, Herb Stalo says. Then he added, it kind of disappears. He lists in the journal scientific reports more than 4,500 gold objects taken mainly from burial sites in Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. He said that the production went into precipitous decline. The mines were not depleted and the population did not collapse. The most compelling explanation is that the intentional rejection of gold, perhaps because of its association with a specific social order. So it sounds like early socialism to me. There is evidence that the same was true of all sorts of ostentation in the years when gold was popular, burial mounds become increasingly more elaborate and the goods placed inside more valuable. There's a lot of intense focus on the elite individual and their glorification of the burial ritual. That changes though. About the same time that gold vanishes, the burial mounds get smaller and judging by the graves, there's more muted attitudes towards the displays of the elite material wealth. They're still quite interested in creating complex objects with metal. They certainly have no qualms about burying people with uh, necklaces and other items of personal adornment, but they weren't made out of gold. He suspects there's a fundamental shift in society with a move away from the uh, aggrisement of individuals while in previous order gold was a sign of status and maybe in tooling in maintaining that status, it became a sign of the way of living. Gold was so tightly connected with this early social order and strata. When that social order was rejected, the gold working traditions it supported was connected and was rejected altogether. Herb Stalo said, we should see the same trend in the modern world. After the Russian Revolution, the market for crowns and imperial regalia wasn't that great. It would have undermined Lenin's position if they had worn the regalia of the Romanov dynasty. These things have powerful symbolic importance. So it was less gold and more cubic zirconia. It was very close this week to your dear host not being able to get to the microphone because of a broken toe, broken foot. 
I mean, those bones in the feet are very... There's so many bones. Isn't it the most boniest part of your body? Well, not the boniest necessarily, but the boniest. With lots of bones, little tiny bones everywhere. So I've got a bit of an issue with my fridge at the moment. Every time I open it, a half block of mature cheddar falls out and uh, like four or five times this week have hit me on the foot. A couple of times on my right, a couple of times on my left. I mean, it's like spinning a coin. I don't know if it's going to land on the right or the left, but it's hit my toes a number of times. And this is a hefty, hefty, sizable block of mature cheddar. And my toes are actually feeling bruised, numb, tingly because of the whole cheese scenario. Now, I haven't worn my fluffy slippers. They add a little degree of protection here, I have to say. Um, but I don't know. I, I need to ballast the, the cheese block better so it doesn't fall out every time. But nearly, without fail, it falls out of the fridge and comes tumbling down onto my tootsies. And uh, you know what? I, I think if it was a, a feta or a crumbly parmesan or romano or something, there wouldn't be a problem. It would just be dust uh, you know, basically drifting off the foot. But, you know, the heftier the block of cheddar, the, uh, the, the, the more weighty the block, block of cheddar, the more painful it is. You know, for, I mean, what happened if it was a wax seal black bomber? I mean, that could probably be a toe crusher. If there was, uh, if there was anything in the world, a black bomber wax sealed, you know, in that sort of uh, cylindrical wax seal... That could uh, that could break many a toe. That 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 would be more more problematic than probably a uh, you know Big Daddy or Giant Haystacks or a rather hefty sumo wrestler standing on your foot, or maybe uh, an egregious uh, rugby player you know with his uh, studs. He's had probably too many pints over the years. They could definitely break your toes too. But you know the mature cheddar, especially if it's wax seal. Uh, causes all sorts all, all sorts of drama. Uh, if it was a Stilton, though, if a Stilton or a blue cheese fell from the abyss onto your foot, I mean, who knows? It would take you years and years. I mean, if you have stinky feet, it wouldn't be a problem, but it could take you years and years to get the stench of a mature Stilton that's been left in the fridge for a little bit too long out of your socks. It could be an absolute abomination. I mean, I just want to move on to the, uh, you know what? Let's have a break. I want to move on to the subject of expensive socks coming up next. I do love a bright sock. Absolutely adore a bright sock. So one of my favorite companies out there, I can get a good British sock from the Carnaby Sock Company. Love them. You can get Corgis on there, the London Eye, Big Ben, uh, a uh, grenadier guard standing outside the palace, a bobby on the beat, uh, all of that. I mean, you could probably get one with a truncheon on there talking about bobbies on the beat. I'd mean, love a sock with a long, sort of uh, slightly rotund truncheon on the, on the sock. Um, but, you know, they're, and they're good, reasonably priced. Now, you know, I love myself some James Bond memorabilia. I've actually sort of been looking at, I think, there's a man with a golden gun, the golden gun, and it's a magnet. I mean, it looks like the coolest thing in the world. The golden gun. Scaramanga's golden gun in a magnet form. I, I may need that. Anyway, socks. James Bond socks. So there is a store out there where you can buy James Bond socks. 
And I was having a look at this, and rather nice, you know. Different depictions of Bond, sort of gun barrel, uh, Loungy Lucy, I mean, Daniel Craig Bond. I mean, different etchings of Bond. And uh, I was thinking, wow, that looks rather fantastic here. James Bond socks, you know, it's slightly shorter trouser leg. You can show off your Bond socks and be extra 60s groovy cool baby. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll get some James Bond socks. Or ask Santa for them before for Christmas, for Christmas time. James Bond socks. Uh, yeah, $99 for a pair of six socks. I mean, <laughs> what? $99 for socks? I mean, what would our forefathers think about spending $99 on a pair of socks? I mean, come on, you know, socks, $99? I mean, how much if, I mean, I think my grandmothers, my great-grandmothers, you'd have darn socks. If you've got holes in socks, we talked about in this podcast before last year. If you get holes in socks, the thrifty people would darn socks. You know, repair the socks, basically. So they could die another day, to coin a Bond term. But, um, yeah, I mean, how much would it cost to darn a sock? I mean, if you bought 99, uh, you know, $99 six pairs of socks you'd want to darn them you'd want them to you'd patch those babies up it'd be like your elbow patches you'd patch those up for a generation maybe you'd probably pass these bond socks down for a whole generation that's how expensive they are i mean if they last if they lasted maybe 50 years or something a couple of generations then it might be worthwhile but uh yeah the 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 essence of extravagance you mean I thought they might be like gold leafed or something or painted with gold like um, Shirley Eaton and Goldfinger embossed with gold made out of Goldfinger's gold ingots no they're just made out of uh, cotton maybe with a dash of cashmere so mozzarella tops camembert as France's favourite soft cheese Italian mozzarella has for the first time overtaken Canembert as France's favourite soft cheese, dealing a blow to one of the country's gastronomic emblems. The adoption of fast food, a restaurant fashion and easy home cooking are said to be responsible for the shift towards the Italian product with 21% rise in mozzarella sales last year. Canembert sales have been declining by about 3% a year during the past decade. I don't like the skin on a Canembert. Sort of like slightly off-putting that sort of white, firm skin. It's like a it's like a cheese foreskin. The uh, French still even consumes the equivalent of three and a half, 250 gram cylindrical soft cheeses associated with Normandy every year, but is overtaken by the Emmental as the top nation's cheese. I don't know if I've had Emmental before. The hard cheese originally from the Alps. You know those uh, those Alpine goats really do put together a vintage cheese. The French have embraced mozzarella made from buffalo or cow's milk. How does one milk a buffalo? Always wondered this. One other at a time. Um, after its arrival in restaurants in pizza salads in the 1980s, Fabrice Collier, head of Normandy's Union of Canembert Makers, 
There is a, there's a union in Normandy of Can and Bear makers said that their product has suffered because Can and Bear is on the cheese board while mozzarella is a cooking cheese. Although melted Can and Bear is used in a few dishes, it's mainly consumed only after the main course when you're completely full after stuffing your face with mozzarella. Can and Bear also appears to have suffered from a decade-long Can and Bear war. Forget the War of the Roses, the War of the Can and Bears. Which Can and Bear melts the best? Which is more oily? Which uh, melts in the mouth? Which doesn't have that awful skin? It's pitted as industrial producers that use pasteurized milk against the smaller makers of the traditional raw milk cheese, which is more pungent. I mean, don't you think in a, like, it's almost like chemical warfare, biological warfare, if the more pungent cheese should win in a war of the cannon bear, the pungent cannon bear would always come out on top. The feud, the Cannon Bear feud, the Great Cannon Bear feud of 1761, well, it's actually 2021, was settled in January when the big manufacturers were barred from law from using the, the Made in Normandy label. It's making Made in Champagne, but Made in Normandy. Because consumers could mistake the Cannon Bear de Normandy, the strictly controlled appellation of the traditional cheese that's protected small producers with the diminished attraction of the big brands account for 90% of the Cannon Bear. Uh, with the ban, uh, all uh, mention of Normandy and pasteurized cannon bear, we especially are worried about the future of the industry, said uh, Jean-Pierre Collier of Le Figaro. Okay, all right, so what's your favorite cheese? Think about this for a second, people. The Times did a favorite cheese live poll. They've had nearly 700 votes so far. I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to make it 700. So is your favorite cheese A, cannon bear, B, mozzarella, C, emmental, uh, D cheddar, E feta. Okay. Well, I think I'm ruling out, ruling out Emmental. I don't know what that is. Feta is is a nonsensical cheese to me. Um, I don't know. I, I think I might put Cannon Bear above mozzarella, but cheddar is my one. And cheddar, ladies and gentlemen, 46% of the English voter and probably across the world received for cheddar. Next was mozzarella. Oh yes, a tampadambon. First up on the hockey, one fed up man took an extra measure of ordering from a restaurant two nights in a row using a different name in bid to prove that staff had deliberately ignored his instructions. There's nothing more disappointing than your food arriving only to find that it's not very good. I'll be talking about this on the podcast tomorrow. My, my example from the other night. It's even worse if you're brave enough to complain only to staff to ignore you. One fed up man decided to go that extra mile after a restaurant didn't prepare his meal correctly, even though he sent it back four times. Writing on Reddit, the disgruntled customer explained he'd ordered a green Thai curry and requested that the spice level was five, which is the hottest. But he said it didn't, he did, didn't seem to like the waitress uh, and uh, the waitress laughed at her and told me that I'm getting it three star. But he reiterated that he wanted the dish to be maximum heat. When she came back with my dish, I tasted it. It was not spicy at all. It wasn't even a three star. I sent the dish back and it came back a few moments later, which what appeared to be red chili flakes sprinkled on top. I asked her about it and she sarcastically told me that I'd ordered it spicy. And I told her to, it makes no sense to sprinkle red chili flakes on a green curry that's supposed to be made with green chilies. 
It honestly looked hideous, but I tried it anyway and it wasn't spicy, so I sent it back. When I got my dish back the third time, it was exactly the same as the first one I got. So I sent it back again, only to have red chili cake sprinkled on the top again. It was like the other time. It was like a spicy curry groundhog day. So I sent it back a fourth time. Ah, <sighs> exhausting. I do wonder, though, what his false name was. I mean, do you think it might have been Ivor Biggin? That might be a mouthful. I mean, maybe the guy's just a bad tipper and doesn't want to be recognised again. And a Harry Potter-themed flat, complete with a hidden room, has hit the market for £210,000. The one-bedroom property located in the heart of Edinburgh's grass market area was previously used as a short-term holiday to let millions of visitors who flock to Victoria Street every year, which is said to have inspired J.K. Rowling's uh, Diagon Alley. Located just minutes from Edinburgh's top attractions, the flat is a premier Potter estate, neighbouring several of the cafes where the author wrote early chapters of the book of the franchise. Owners will also have Edinburgh Castle on the doorstep, which is claimed to have served as inspiration for Hogwarts. The flat's front door opens into a hallway that contains a secret storage room disguised as a long mirror, which looks like the one in the room for requirement. The impressive size living space and modern kitchen dinner post um, plenty of natural light and some wallpaper that fans of the franchise will recognise is similar to that of the magical photos which hangs in the halls of Hogwarts. A woodland, this, <laughs> I can imagine this like uh, on a row, a woodland-themed bedroom hidden behind a fantastically concealed bookcase helps give the feel of the forbidden forest, given thankfully there's no giant spider named Agog in sight. A compact bathroom with a double shower and rustic copper coin room gives the newly refurbished apartment an eclectic, homely feel that any Weasley would be proud of. Other features of the pad include a wizarding chest, references to Gringotts Bank, antique books and Diagon's Alley sign. Oh, it sounds marvellous, doesn't it? Hopefully there's no Harry Potter glory holes for enchanted wizards. Just be careful where you put your wand. And a shocking new video has highlighted the potential health risks of having ice in our drinks in restaurants, showing the potential for harmful bacteria infecting us. There's nothing quite like a refreshing as ice, cold glass of water or fizzy drink when you sit down to a restaurant. But a new behind-the-scenes video of where our ice in restaurants comes from might make us think twice about ordering a Coke. An ice technician who inspects large-scale ice machines for a living has warned customers to opt out of ice in their drinks because it could make them ill. Who goes? This guy goes by the name of Iceman. He's a TikToker and he's posted a video on the platform where he's filmed the inspection with the ice machine at the restaurant. But the shocking footage won't put prospective customers at ease and may leave those who have had ice in their drinks feeling a tad queasy. The grimly looking machine is yellow stained, mold growing around the hinges. And the Iceman says, let me tell you something real quick. A lot of people go to restaurants, they get sick, they think it's from food poisoning, but it's the ice that makes them sick. I mean, come on, it's probably not the ice. Maybe the waiters hawking up a loogie into their meal. <coughs> so a couple of things that I've seen in the week that may interest you. Self-help, basically. Self-help for you. The deer keep coming, cauliflower cheese listener. So habits you need to replace. So if you're into porn, uh, then yeah, get some exercise. Uh, if you're uh, obsessed with Netflix, Netflix habit, 
not necessarily Netflix and chill, but a Netflix habit, then hustle more. If you're addicted to fast food, you need a proper diet. Procrastination. What do you need to replace with procrastination? Action. Blaming. Well, instead of blaming, take responsibility. Toxic friends. Mentor. Mentor your toxic friends. Instead of complaining, have some gratitude. And uh, if you're into the five-knuckle shuffle or too much masturbation, then just try meditation. There we go. So there we go. There's some words of wisdom. And here's something I saw today. Very good. I wonder if Eric Clapton really thought she looked wonderful or if it was just the 20th outfit she had tried on and he just wanted to get to the party. Marvellous you joining the podcast today. This has been the 131st edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And you're very welcome to it. There'll be another edition sometime across the weekend, uh, possibly tomorrow. I may surprise you and pop one in on Sunday. Who knows? Uh, But uh, you can listen across all the platforms. So like and subscribe uh, on Apple Music or Spotify. Uh, It could be anywhere. Breaker, Slack, uh, iHeartRadio, Pandora. So many different platforms. I did actually, I was cleaning out my Roomba. Cleaning out my Roomba. It's completely everything that's packed in, wedged in, so much fluff uh, from the hounds. And I, I, I pulled a little bit of fluff out. And as I pulled the fluff out, I could hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese emanating from the Roomba bag. Wow. It was like a bagpipe, but sounded better. But yes, so the Musical Edition Emporium, the Musical Edition Emporium is a wondrous playlist of my favorite tunes and some new music. I want to big up new music on Keep Coming Colorful Cheese. And here we go. I have it all written down, believe it or not. So some of the music we had, we had some Magic City Hippies, Christopher Cross, Lunch Money Lewis, uh, also the Flaming Lips, some uh, Clinton, uh, also uh, a a new song, Quiet on the Set, not very quiet though, Uh, but a wonderful, beautiful, masterful um, young reggae artist Alicia Scott listen to that tune uh, I want you it's wonderful 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 uh, all of that I mean you really do need to uh, you really do need to listen to it um, but I'm going to play uh, coming up next a marvellous artist a new artist Joy Crooks so Joy Crooks sounds like the haunting sound of Amy Winehouse, that sort of mystical, uh, magical, haunting sound of Amy Winehouse. Uh, but Joy comes from South London, born to Bangladeshi Irish immigrants. Um, and, you know, she knows the struggle of trying to figure out your identity in society and being yourself. In her debut album, Skin, Crook soulfully sings about those streets and neighborhoods which embraces themes of power, heartbreak, racial justice, and how to make peace with yourself. I mean, she called the album Skin the song I wrote after somebody very close to felt like they didn't want to continue life anymore. I guess it was my way of telling them that life is worth living. How do I make this person that I love so much see the love I have for them, but by themselves? This album is majestical. It is a marvellous album. As I said, it sounds a little bit like Amy Winehouse, but there's a lot of soul. There's a lot of passion, a lot of blues in it. So listen to the Musical Emporium, lots of new music, but Joy Crooks 
is the songstress of the year, in my opinion. This poem is When You're Old by William Butler Yeats. When you're old and grey and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes once had and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true, but one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. Again, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I will be back very, very soon with more Keep Coming Cauliflower Cheese. Until then, have a lovely early weekend and cheerio for now.